The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the twelfth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, O Christ. Grace and peace be with you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. First, a thank you to Mr. Deanna for his uh, words about stewardship. Uh, as being one of the recipients of your kindness and largesse, I must say thank you again and again and again. You make so much possible that you, uh, you don't get to see, and yet nonetheless you support us in our work, and we are so very, very grateful. What does love smell like to you? Forever to me, love will smell like Jenny O's turkey loaf. My family wasn't poor, but with five kids all needing braces and none of us, I guess, smart enough for scholarships, money was tight. Pork and beans was never a side dish in my childhood, but always a main course. So when the, when the kitchen smelled of Jenny O's turkey loaf, love was in the air. Someone was having a birthday, or someone got a role in the school play. There may or may not have been a cake, but there was always Jenny O's turkey loaf, two of them to be exact, because one really wasn't quite big enough for seven of us. But I have since sensed love in other smells. The smell of Play-Doh, for example. Play-Doh made into the shape of little animals my son made for me. Or even the smell of Play-Doh made into an ashtray for his dad who didn't smoke. Love can smell like Brasso, too, lovingly applied to the candlesticks of the, of the, on the altars of the churches I've served. And love, love will always smell a bit like saltines and 7-Up, the miracle cure of my childhood whenever I was homesick from school. And I mean real sick, not the kind my mom could tell was me just really needing a day at home. But death, death takes on a different smell. It's the tuna noodle hot dish casseroles served after every funeral at my internship congregation once four times in a single week. They all tasted just fine, every one of them, whether they had the, the crushed potato chips on top or the shoestring kind. But I still can't eat a tuna noodle hot dish without remembering the grief of those days. 
And death could once smell like school supplies, even with their promise of a new year and new adventures in algebra, because they always meant the end of summer, the death of careless days riding bikes and of nights spent under the streetlight on our corner talking about the endless mystery called girls. Death could smell like pine salt too because my dad didn't like the smell of pine salt, but that's what we had to use to clean the house whenever my dad got orders to move to some other base and we had to say goodbye and endure a little death of the friends we left behind. And death since not very long ago smells like an odd mix of coffee and bulletins in the narthex of a church I shall not name. I was there filling in and said, in the night in which he was betrayed, and a little child added her own joyful sounds to my own. Then I heard another sound, an adult. I, couldn't, I could tell that, but nothing more. It was only after the service that I learned the sound I heard was that of an old man who had yelled at the parents of that child, little child, telling them just to leave if that kid kept making noise. And they did, right then and there. And I suspect they'll never be back. Meanwhile, back in Bethany, the smell of love and death took on very different forms. There's a dinner at Mary and Martha's house, the sisters of Lazarus. Lazarus, who really doesn't do much in this story, but B, which was offense enough, he was supposed to not be, that is, he was supposed to be dead. But Jesus had other ideas, and now he sits there, probably too stunned to do much other than wonder what happened the past three days. He probably doesn't realize what his new life has cost his guest. You see, Jesus has moved into dangerous territory, geographically and spiritually. Geographically, he's now in a suburb of Jerusalem where his enemies are the strongest, where those who had preserved the status quo can exert their will with impunity. And spiritually, well, raising Lazarus was just a step too far. By whatever trick or sorcery he did that deed, he was infringing on territory reserved only for God or at best for one of the premier league prophets like Elijah. This poser from the sticks, he's going to get people's attention and that's going to get Pilate's attention and nothing good will come of that. So Jesus needs to be disappeared and Lazarus with him because the dead really should have the manners to stay dead. And what good is a resurrection if it doesn't really last terribly long, just a few days? It's not nearly as impressive or memorable. So there is love in the air as Mary and Martha and Lazarus wel welcome Jesus to their home where he loves them and, and they love him and there's no because to it. They just do, which is a rare and good thing. But the stench of death can't help but be noticed, the stink of those who wish evil, even as life is affirmed and love is shared with bread and wine and maybe fish or lamb. Even though there is love in the air, something smells off, like the soup might have scorched on the bottom of the pot. So to this mix of smells, Mary brings love, overwhelming in its quantity and extravagance. 
It's nard, we are told, not particularly desired in this day and time. But then the epitome of aromas, it's something between mint and ginseng, I'm told, which doesn't help me much. Nor do I suppose it captures just how much of this stuff is being used. We do know this, it's a year's worth of labor to buy that perfume. It's the good stuff, not, the, not just the, the cheap kind off the, shelf from, off the shelf from Target, not even the expensive kind you, you'd never buy for yourself, but maybe hope for as a birthday present or a Christmas gift. It's all that getting up every day and laboring for a year will buy. In quantity and in quality, it is an extraordinary gift, and Mary pours it out like water on the feet of Jesus. Now, a few things need to be noted here. First, the smell couldn't have been confined to just around the table. No, as the scripture tells us, the smell filled the whole house and permeated the nose of every person there, and not just their noses, but their clothes. And it undoubtedly clung to them for days afterwards. I just wonder if the soldiers who would gamble over Jesus' clothes would notice that faint scent still clinging to them, the scent of love. Moreover, would they have recognized the scent? It wasn't an everyday smell. It was anointing oil, after all, used in this case to anoint the bodies of those who had died in preparation for their burial. Maybe it was oil left over from Lazarus's unfortunate day, but no. It was a full jar waiting for another sad day that was to come. Mary knows it. She knows that day has come. In this, some have said she's something of a prophet herself, or at least one who can read the signs and know how the wind blows. So she acts, breaking the jar and anointing in his feet, in and of itself an unambiguous sign. You see, Messiah... Messiah means the anointed one. And so every king was anointed at their coronation with oil poured on their heads, not their feet. Never their feet. Feet, feet were part of the servant's world. Feet carried burdens. Heads carried ideas and words and rules and authority. Feet touched the earth, grounded in the reality of life with all its stones and ruts and mud and dust. Anointed heads were carried far above the reality of life with feet rarely touching the ground, with others' feet's feet carrying them. So to anoint Jesus' feet was to make holy the servant's work, to make sacred the walk to the place of the skull where his arms would be extended for the sake of the world, to embrace it and serve it and save it all. Yet it was an odd gift, an odd act of tribute, especially for the one whose heart was never far from the poor. Think what we could have done for the down and out, Jesus, Judas says aloud. Well, most everyone else just thinks that. Judas would never get it. That frugality and penny-pinching don't really have a place when it comes to honoring Jesus. God was certainly not making cost-benefit analyses, ratio analyses, when God gave us Christ. No, it is extravagance on God's behalf. 
It's mercy without measure. And in return, extravagance is our right response. Now, I know this is sometimes bad news for those who are, of us who are raised with a more practical bent, <coughs> Lutherans. Uh, we offer Christ honor with our lips, but maybe church council's reason. We should put out suggested donation signs for coffee or devotion booklets. Maybe, uh, maybe councils put in those, in those church, church restrooms, those uh, toilet paper dispensers that only allow three squares at a time because you don't want to waste anything. And you know they reason, most people can't really tell what's good wine, so let's just go with what's the cheapest. Yet remember that the smell of death at day in Bethany? It smelled like piety mixed with practicality. Like what our medieval ancestors must have smelled when walking down the streets of their days. Most carried what are called nosegays, little sachets of flour and spices designed to be breathed through when in a particularly stinky part of town, which was pretty much everywhere. Mary's gift, Mary's gift almost covered it up, almost. The perfume was poured out on the feet of the one who would pour out his life for the life of the world. But before that could happen, he washed feet himself and with that act gave a commandment that Mary anticipated in her own deed. Love one another. Love one another as I have loved you. It made for a sweet smell, that kind of love. When we can't muster it, maybe we can fake our way for a while with some perfume or cologne, but the real deal is so much better. And the real deal won't ever fade. The real deal is the love poured out on us in Jesus. And then the love we just might manage to pour out on others. Now to pour out such love may seem extravagant. To love those who may not deserve it may seem foolish. To love those who've not proved they deserve that love may risk realizing it just wasn't worth the effort. But Mary's gift to Jesus and God's gift of Jesus are reminders that there is enough love to go around. There's no need to worry. In God's economy, there is extravagance. There is lavishness. And yet, there is always, always enough. This past week, the smell of death came to our campus. It came unexpectedly in the ravings of a self-appointed street pe preacher whose opening message was, you deserve hell. He gathered a crowd, of course, people stopping by as much as people will slow down driving by a wreck. God isn't love, he said. God isn't love and he actually hates you and God will hate you until you quit sinning, he said. And if a student didn't know what sinning might be, the street preacher, preacher had a list, a, a, a rather comprehensive list, I should add. Some students taught, fought back with verses. Some yelled that, this man, you are why I can never be a Christian. Some stood with me with signs that said, other interpretations of Jesus are available. Please inquire here. Or God really is love or Jesus is about transformation, not condemnation. 
Death was in the air, but God is good and mercy abounds. Love made its presence known when late in the day, late that one hot, sticky afternoon when we'd been standing in protest for over three hours, a student brought us water. I was hot and thirsty, he said, so I figured you have to be. And then, thanks for telling the truth, he said to us. And that's when I realized that sometimes does, love doesn't smell like perfume at all. Sometimes it may smell something like cold water and a college student's sweat on an April afternoon. Amen.